Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Around 750 million people live on the European continent. So what about it? What will its future look like? Will there ever be a United States of Europe? For this and more, you will hear from European thought leaders, artists, civil society representatives, and all those who care about its future. You will receive key insights into the ways Europe is changing and how your voice can be part of this. I am Paolo De Stilo, and you're listening to Europe Matters. Welcome, everybody. Today I'm joined by Valerie Sternberg-Idvani and Rainier van Lonschot, the co-presidents of Volt Europa. Before we delve into the conversation of how to actively engage in politics on a European level, I'd like to give you a brief introduction of our guests. Valerie Sternberg-Irvani studied economics and European politics in Germany, Italy and England. She has been involved with Volt since 2017 and in 2018, together with a 30-member team, she founded Volt Germany as a party in Hamburg, where she was also elected president. In 2019, she led the German Volt team through the European election campaign, where Volt won its first mandate in the European Parliament with Damian Busselager. And since the end of 2019, she's been co-president of World Europe. And together with Rainier, she's putting up the movement on track across Europe for the next European elections of 2024. She's also running the top candidate for Volt Berlin and a direct candidate for Berlin Mitte. Well, that, that's already an extensive uh, bio. Uh, now we're going to go also as, as well to Rainier. Uh, Rainier, uh, depending on where you're at, at uh, Rainier is not from Germany, but he's from the Netherlands. And he's um, one of the founders of the Dutch division of Volt. For the ones who don't know, uh, Volt actually got three seats uh, this last uh, Dutch national elections. So they're actually starting off uh, having real impact, we could say, into national politics. He was actually born uh, in France and after studying law in Utrecht and Amsterdam, he worked for a startup that innovated legal services. He, he worked in different sectors. Uh, he also managed a supermarket in uh, Lelystad. And from there, he then went to actually finding and founding uh, Volt Netherlands in 2018. So actually a year later uh, compared to Germany. And so he was also the first uh, chairman and becoming the party leader of Volt Netherlands for the European parliamentary elections. However, 
something happened. They didn't manage to get on the European Parliament just for not enough votes, uh, but they did receive 106,000 votes, which gave them the head run and head start for having three seats in the national parliament last year. So there's also a lot of prizes that have been given to uh, Rainier. So he's also a global shaper from the World Economic Forum. But before going on, we'll, I want to know more from both of you. How was it to uh, get inside uh, this this party and actually who's, who founded it in the first place, the Volt uh, in general? Because from what I read, it started off in 2016 after Brexit because everybody was like, oh my God, Britain is leaving, the UK is leaving. So whose idea was it? In 2016, I think the, the shock of Brexit was uh, far-reaching and everywhere in Europe. And in the end, um, it was a group of Europeans uh, from different uh, countries in Europe, uh, especially from France, Italy and Germany. Damien being one, one of them, uh, and now our MEP, as you mentioned earlier, who said, OK, you know, uh, Britain is leaving, but uh, this is kind of a warning signal. It means people cannot identify with it, that, that people don't feel like um, they, they can relate to Europe. So they would rather leave than, than stay in it in, in a community. Rather than leaning back and just watching it fall apart, the idea was to actively do something about it and uh, to concretely map out a plan on how to reform European politics uh, in order to to save it. Maybe Rainier, you have to, can add anything. Yeah, I think part of the question was also how, how was it for us to get involved? Well, for me, it was an unexpected adventure. Um, I hadn't figured myself becoming politically active or even quitting my job to volunteer full-time for a political, uh, um, new political movement. Um, so uh, uh, it was a process where I personally went miles outside of my comfort zone from having an opinion about some stuff to actually standing for something and standing up for something and trying to convince others to uh, uh, look at the world at the world in a similar way. Um, that for me was it was an exciting adventure where uh, you meet loads of new people and, and have a lot of different experiences. So uh, all in all, it was uh, in the beginning, I think the first year uh, best described in one word as an adventure. Um, but what we're trying to achieve is, is not an adventure, but it is very concrete and, and real. And, uh, and we have a concrete vision for where we want to be 50 years from now. Um, and that's basically what, uh, uh, what drove me to that vision, uh, for the future of Europe, what drove me to become more and more active and uh, eventually to this position. Yeah, so, but there was also already kind of a European movement before, like others, like DM25. And I mm -hmm. was wondering whether are there any connections with these kind of movements around Europe and your party? Uh, do you collaborate with them, for example, with Varoufakis or with other uh, political uh, European thought leaders, we could say? Uh, in general, I think what we're trying to achieve uh, is uh, our dot at the horizon is a European uh, democracy, a European parliamentary democracy that's not a union of states, but a union of people. And we think that's the most effective way to address the challenges of the century we find ourselves in, to address climate change, for example. That European democracy cannot exist without European political parties, of which we are, are, are one. And my sincere hope is that there will be way more European political parties in the future with 
entirely different views from ours as well. So we can really bring politics from a national to a European level. And uh, with that, I applaud all other initiatives that uh, are along in the same direction in how they are organized, like ourselves, uh, such as DM25. There is no uh, real collaboration between uh, the, the two uh, movements, but we do see that there's uh, sometimes overlap, and here and there, there are there are connections, but there's no formal collaboration. Maybe one characteristic that sets us quite apart from DM25 and I think all sort of endeavors of pan-European party collaboration before um, we tried this undertaking, sort of. Um, so DM25 is a network of European parties of already existing ones and newly founded ones, um, whereas Bolt said from the very beginning, you know, we we don't want to even start in a national setup. We want to start from a European setup and have all European, all our members, no matter where they live and, and where they're from in Europe, um, they should be members of Bolt Europa. So all of these members should have that, the direct right to vote for European policies. And that is the unique characteristic that um, other parties don't have in this way. What you're actually doing is having a party in almost every member state, whereas in every country, there's everybody has their own national parties, right? But when you go into the European politics, into the European Parliament, everybody kind of votes a common kind of uh, party, but you're not able to kind of vote for uh, somebody in another country. So, for example, if I'm here in Italy, I cannot vote for a politician that is in Germany, right? And what you're trying to do is that kind of bridging that gap by already having people that are already in the same kind of mindset uh, with the same party? Because my question was, do you have the same political agenda uh, all over uh, Europe or do you also kind of uh, tailor it to every country? Yeah, I'll kick it off on this one. So um, you're exactly right. So we see ourselves as one European party and movement, but because of um, the way currently still uh Europe and, and the European Union functions, we are basically forced to found all these national parties um, according to the to the laws of the different member states. Um, but still, we found a way to include all members that are national members of these national parties also as members in the mothership of Europe, so to say. With regards to policy, it's a, it's a great question. And I think this is where also, you know, This is where we actually try to go one step ahead and not only start negotiating European policies, for example, in the European Parliament, but start debating European policy within us already, within VOLT. So sort of start to build and develop a European public sphere where people from all over Europe come together and understand, okay, what is our shared challenges? What is it that, that we all need to have answers for? And then try to understand what would be a European lens that would make create a win-win for everyone. Um, now, of course, we, we, uh, we really like writing policies. So our European mapping of policies is over 300 pages long. And um, but they're uh, written as high level as needed in order for our national parties to then derive their national policies from that and adapt it to national specific situation and circumstances. And how many parties do you have currently in Europe? Yeah, so there's there's 16 uh, political uh, or legal entities in 
countries that can participate in elections. Uh, why am I using a different way to describe it? Is because we see ourselves as one European political party. Maybe it's good to give a, a, a short overview. So, Volt is active in 30 countries, all EU member states, the UK, um, Albania, and Switzerland. We have around 20,000 uh, paying uh, members uh, and 50,000 supporters. And of those 20,000, uh, the, the largest part of those currently uh, Dutch members, and the others are spread out, and then comes Germany, and the others are spread out over the other countries. And then I think that the, the, we have 16 legal entities with which we can participate in elections. So in the other 14 countries, we're still relatively small, let's say three to 15 people that call themselves Volters, that see themselves as part of our community, that share our values, and are, that are trying to achieve the same thing. Um, and uh, besides that, we have about 60 elected representatives. So we have the one in the European Parliament, Damian Beuselager, who's also one of the founders of Volt. Then um, we have the three uh, people in the Dutch Parliament. And then we have 56 local elected representatives in Italy, Bulgaria, and Germany. So that's a rough overview of where we stand as a movement and uh, and what our current setup is. Okay, so you're trying to spread around. Do you encounter a lot of difficulties when setting up uh, the political party in the various countries? Definitely. Yes, definitely. It changes. It, it, it varies hugely per country. So in some countries, you have these absurd democratic hurdles that are ridiculously high. So, for example, in Italy, to be able to participate in the European parliamentary elections, we had to have 150,000 signatures that were signed uh, uh, in the presence of a notary, which is like this, this massive hurdle. Or uh, in France, you have to pay for the ballots, for the voting ballots yourselves and have to spread them around to all the citizens. And then they use that ballot to vote for you. So only the cost of even participating in the elections there are uh, uh, almost a million euros. Where and, and that's a huge amount of money, especially for a young movement like ours, for which uh, financial means are often the biggest break on our growth. Uh, but if you compare it to the Netherlands, we had to, for the national elections, raise I th or get 750 signatures. Uh, that's yeah, a lot less than 150,000. And we had to pay 11,000 euros, and then we could participate in the elections. So it varies, it varies hugely per country. How was it in Germany, uh, for example? Then we can kind of get an overview of the European ways of setting up a party, because that's, that's also the interesting part of your initiative is really trying to figure out how each country works. And then you kind of understand how the biggest hurdles, no, right? I, I, that's also quite the, the fascinating part, I would say, from yeah. Volt, right? So, Valerie, yeah. how, how was your experience uh, in Germany? Germany, compared with other European countries, it's um, it's not like in the Netherlands, uh, where it's very liberal, let's say, and, and very much and, and very um, favorable to small to smaller parties. But it's it's a it's a fair way of dealing with small parties. So we have quite a rigid party law that describes quite uh, into detail how the statutes need to be set up, how uh, sort of founding assembly, assemblies need to be held, what bodies need to exist in a party, etc. So really to ensure democratic participation and also the subsidiarity principle, which is very important in Germany. But then the hurdle to actually be able to run, for example, for European elections was to uh, um, elect 4,000 signatures, which 
for us at the time being very small and at that time only having 200 volunteers was a challenge. But I also like challenges, so I think it's fine too. <laughs> so it was how, many, how many was that? 4,000 or 400,000? I didn't hear 4, that. 4,000. 4,000, okay. Yeah, but, but then at the same time, after that, you have this huge hurdle. Currently, on the 26th of September, we're going to uh, participate in the German elections. And then you need 5% of the votes to get in the Bundestag. So that is a, a, a huge hurdle. Do you think you're going to make it? It will be a super high jump, uh, and we will definitely go for it. Um, it will be a super tactical election, I think, in a very because a lot is uh, on the play now that Merkel is retiring. The ones who are following German elections see that there is a lot of dynamic in there. So yeah, we're we are going to go for it. We're also try and push uh, off this course our messages as much out there as possible. So also do already impact the the other parties and we will on top of that also go for direct candidacies so this is the first vote and it works after first past the post system um where then the candidate with the most vote of a constituency goes directly into the bundestag so this is also a part of our strategy when are these elections for for our audience so they know when to think about because also another aspect of working on a European scale is that everybody has elections in a different time moment, in a different moment during the year. There's like all the time changes uh, everywhere. So how do you manage that, for example? Yeah, there's always elections somewhere. So this Sunday we have elections in uh, uh, national elections in Bulgaria where we're participating as well. The 26th of September will be nas- uh, will be national elections in Germany. And some local elections are part of that too. It will also be local elections in Lisbon, Lisbon, uh, Porto, Coimbra, uh, and the fourth city where we're participating. At the same time, the date is not defined yet, but around that same time, we have Naples, uh, Roma, Trieste, Bologna, um, uh, Florence, where we're participating in local elections as well. Then uh, mid-October uh, or mid-November, we have the uh, local elections in uh, Copenhagen where we're participating. So lots of different uh, uh, elections uh, coming up. Yeah. And what what are the reactions from other parties uh, when looking at you at, at Volta Europa? Did you already have reactions from national or European parties? Parties or people? Whatever. Also parties. It would be interesting from parties if they have any uh, reaction on what you are doing, but also uh, maybe in, uh, important people looking at your endeavor because they w- would be like, you're a madman or, or w- mad woman or whatever you would like say. Yeah, um, I actually had such an experience in 2019 in January we not, when one of the German political party leaders of one of the established parties told me... Uh, Nice plan, but you're never going to make it. And then, of course, <laughs> we were quite proud to have actually made it into the European Parliament. But, yeah, I think um, with parties, I, I don't know, really. Uh, of course, they're they're fighting their own game now, especially in the Bundestag elections. But uh, with people, there is a lot of interest now out there. So especially after COVID, but also, uh, more in general, there's quite some frustration and quite some, yeah, will for change and will for or craving for something new and for 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 a party or for people that, yeah, I don't know, sort of 
wind of change in the Bundestag, I think, is something that people would hope for. And with the established parties, I think it will be hard to to be able to provide that because uh, they they have been established in their way um, for for several decades, apart from the AFD, of course, and are very set in their ways and uh, set in doing things the way they do. So I think also to provide a structural, uh, maybe new impetus, uh, Volt can break up some... Uh... How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Would you say yeah, that... that Would you say that uh, COVID actually helped you to grow? Bringing everybody on a digital level maybe has improved communication in certain uh, areas, but maybe in others it has been more frustrating. Yeah, I think um, there's a lot of different ways to look at it. and You don't really know for sure. You never know for sure because you don't know how it would have went if there was no COVID. But um, the, the digital collaboration that is now more common because of the COVID um, is actually something that we had been doing for two years already. So that that wasn't really something that we had to adjust to or that's now helping our collaboration. I do think that um, the COVID crisis and the uh, lockdown measures have impacted our lives so immensely that um, the political awareness has increased a lot. 
um, and it also has shown to some extent the fragility of democracy and the uh, fragility of our, our society and uh, how uh, we're sometimes we are responsive here but irresponsible to climate change there's a lot of different elements to it but the three that I just mentioned are for, for in my experience also extra reasons for people to become politically active so um, in some in some sense that that may have uh, increased our growth at the same time, we are a community, a European community, and we need to also see each other physically and sometimes have a beer together and talk and get to know each other. And that hasn't happened for two years, so or a little bit less, but almost two years. And that has really hindered us as well, because sometimes if you're in a, in a tougher phase of your collaboration, because even if you agree on where you want to go you can and what you want to achieve, you can still disagree on how you want to get there. So... In any collaboration, there's bound to be some disagreements, and it's sometimes helpful if you see each other physically to get over those hurdles. Um, so that has made life harder for us too, and definitely less fun. And how about for you? Is that the same, uh, Valerie? Yeah, for sure. I think uh, the digital sphere cannot replace the the analog one, so to say. So um, I'm really glad that for for now for the campaign we will be able to you know walk the streets and do street campaigning and also get in touch with people again and and talk um, because it's it's essential to to our yeah debating culture to democracy um, but maybe to open a different view on this I think Corona in general also means that Europe can be a hard sell um, because of course with Corona, the association is that the European Union failed in many different things. So there is also frustration, not just with the national uh, governments, but also with the European Union. And um, so, you know, actually uh, what what we're trying to change becomes more and more evident uh, that, you know, we really need more democratic uh, oversight of uh, how European affairs are handled, that the parliament gets more power, that by the parliament getting more power, we as the citizens and our representatives basically receive more power. All of that becomes more evident that we are more effective in decision making by outruling, um, what's it called again? Uh, anonymity voting, sorry. So these things become quite, became quite evident, especially in a crisis when you need, need to move fast and also when you, when you need to move with a European lens and not be caught up in national struggles. But this is an, you know, it's it's an interesting thing to now play in the campaign and and see how, well, how can you relate to the people's concerns that they actually have right now and make them understand why Europe is so important. Where were you actually when you were in the first lockdown? Were you in another country or were you at home? Where were you physically as, as a president? Like, were you hindered by it or were you easy couch potato? living well uh, so i was in my house in amsterdam on the fifth floor without a balcony um and my uh, my working uh, space is in the same area same room as my sleeping room so i sometimes felt locked in a cubicle uh but um yeah i mean it was uh, it wasn't wasn't ideal but it wasn't hard either and I mean, there's a lot of people that were uh, living under tougher circumstances. Um, but yeah, I spent uh, uh, my lockdown in, inside uh, my house in Amsterdam. And uh, how about you? I had, uh, yeah, at the, at when 
Europe lockdown for the first time. I had just come back from uh, a trip in America where I was off grid for around a week. And so, you know, how the, the lockdown thing went pretty fast and like, okay, COVID is in Europe. And then, you know, it, it went with pretty well. So missing out on one week of information was quite a lot. Um, and so when I came back, there was just the first lockdown, very harsh lockdown actually imposed in Italy. So, you know, you weren't allowed to go outside. You could, you were even fine, to, you know, exactly. when going outside. And like the first instinct I had was like, oh my, how is that even possible? You know, why why can they simply lock out people and, you know, even find them if they go out? Um, so, of course, then I, I received more information and I think also the, the fining situation in, in Italy changed a little bit. The law was, I think, quite harsh to begin with. But of course, now it, it makes much more sense. But that was the feelings that I was confronted with when I came back. And I, I remember it quite vividly that it was... Uh, something totally new where all of a sudden your freedoms and your rights are taken from you of course for good reasons uh but i think it is really a new experience would you say actually that it changed also the spirit of your party and also yourself in the sense of how you look at the european issues or it actually enhanced uh, that feeling of wanting to change To me, it made things much more clearer, more on an abstract level and on a concrete level. So with abstract level is is what I mean, um, the principles of, or let's say the values of freedom, justice and solidarity in Europe, which I think make it unique. I mean, I think freedom because I'm born in the 90s. So for the first time, you know, I really understood what what these what these freedoms actually really can mean. And now when we uh, looked at the debate as well, um, I'm not sure if it was held in the same way, for example, in Italy, but in Germany, there was the debate if if someone is back fully vaccinated and cannot pose a threat to other people anymore, if this person should get its citizens' rights back. And to me, to have this discussion was, I mean, impossible. This is not a privilege, our citizens' rights, their citizens' rights, their basic democratic rights. And so that, that there is, I think, a new component of, of learning. And then on the other hand, and like more concretely, what, what Europe means in solidarity, et cetera, I think that were, were these examples of, you know, having um, overflowing hospitals in certain countries and other countries taking on patients or delivering healthcare to other countries. So, yeah, things became very um, real. How about you, Zain? Yeah. Here? So, so yeah, it's a, it's an interesting question uh, whether COVID changed uh, how we view uh, what we are trying or how I view what we're trying to achieve. But I was actually talking about this with a friend uh, yesterday, and he asked me like, "You've been active for four years, and how's the development gone in, in how uh, uh, you view what you're trying to achieve with Volt?" And the interesting thing is like the COVID crisis has definitely made more clear for me that the structural changes and the systemic changes that we propose for the EU are necessary. Um, so that has uh, really uh, enhanced my conviction that what we are trying to achieve is the right thing. At the same time, what, that what we're trying to achieve and the progressive ideals that we stand for, uh, that's something that I've constantly always believed in is the right path for the best future for the biggest amount of people. Um, at the same time, what has really changed over the past four years is the conviction I have that we as a movement are actually also the ones capable of 
realizing those ideals and implementing them and making it happen. Because when we started and when I first met uh, the, the one of the, ma- the main founder of Volt, Andrea Fenzon, in, in the Netherlands in 2017, I thought to myself, okay, I really like the idea of a pan-European movement. I think it's necessary. I think it's the right path. I think it's, it's an idea that I fully support. But you guys have no money. You guys have no uh, experience. You have uh, no uh, uh, famous people that you can use to spread the message around. So I was quite cynical about whether this could achieve could be achieved or not. But I thought at the same time, this is so important that I'm going to try and help them out. And then uh, over the past years, actually, my conviction has grown. And I'm now confident that we can make it happen. Uh, we're with thousands of people who all contribute in their spare time, who are really uh, trying to uh, be the change they want to see in Europe. And um, that ha- has developed over the course of the past four years. And it's really cool to uh, to notice that and to see how much you can achieve if you work together with a big, big group of people. When you talked about Europe at the beginning, you said uh, we don't only see Europe from the European Union standpoint, because you also are active in Switzerland and Albania. What is mm-hmm. the idea? And the UK. And the UK. Well, uh, for me, it's still part of Europe, even though they left the European Union. Um, what What is Europe for you? I mean, like from what you've learned so far, uh, it's like this blob of people in different countries. And is it also Turkey? Is it also part of Russia? What is Europe for both of you? So to me, it's all countries on the European continent that share our values, uh, the values enshrined in the European Union, on the, in the EU Charter. Um, and where we would stop as a movement is not yet defined. This is under negotiation. So where exactly we would draw the border, because it's actually not that easy. But I also think it's uh, it's good that as a young movement, we leave this up for discussion with our membership rather than drawing too early a boundary. Yeah, and in addition to that, I think for me, what's more important than geographical borders is the, the values that we share, uh, democracy, the rule of law, uh, liberal democracy. Th- those values, those are the, the, the fundamental rights. Those are the things that we share and that define Europe more for me than uh, the geographical location. So it's about uh, democracy and from, uh, human rights and e- equality. So w- what else did I miss as well? It's like there's rule of law. Rule of, yeah, rule of law. Justice. As well. Okay. Freedom. And, and I think one, one, uh, one value that is also very much a characteristic of the European Union is solidarity. Well, uh, we didn't see that much last years with the COVID. So is that a, a value of Europe? We definitely saw it when countries helped each other throughout the crisis and uh, when people reached out a hand. I think, of course, at the higher level, at political level, we can do a much better job. And it's also something that, of course, re- requires reflection and um, and negotiation. But I, I do think it is it, it is a value that is with the people in Europe. Yeah, very much entrenched in the citizens, at least. Not it wasn't. It didn't always show in the government, especially the Dutch government. As a Dutch person, I can say that the way that, uh, especially Vukovic, our finance minister, uh, showed a lack of solidarity uh, during the COVID crisis was, for me, uh, appalling. Um, but in general, I think for citizens and for the overall values, solidarity is part of it. 
Oh, we're going to the politics, guys. Uh, it's getting uh, heated, <laughs> but we're almost at the end of the episode. So one question for both of you and also to kind of wrap it up for today. Do you think there will ever be a United States of Europe or should we actually strive for a United States of Europe? Well, I think that um, when you say United States of Europe, there's uh, people immediately associated with the USA. And the USA has a lot of characteristics characteristics in society that I don't want for Europe. Uh, inequality is even higher, and there's a lot of social inequality. Um, at the same time, the interesting thing is that the EU, on some levels, is way more integrated than the United States is especially on economic affairs. So one could argue that in some places we're already further than the USA. Um, and uh, um, so this is a, a, a long answer to your question. I think we should strive for one European democracy, um, and that is composed of people and not necessarily of, necessarily of states. So for me, uh, uh, that is more important than a United States of Europe. Yeah, to me, uh, institutional setups are uh, are never, uh, uh, you know, they're a means to an end and not an end in itself. So the 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 question that we should always ask, like, why do we want this or what? Why do we need this? And um, what we see currently is that due to um, external challenges, be it climate change, also because of t digital transformation, that is human-made, but still happening, geopolitical uh, reasons, we need a united Europe. And because we need that, we need a democratic Europe, because otherwise it, it is the national elites that are driving the politics that affect us as the individual citizens. And I think this is simply not fair, and this is not democratic, and this is not how it should be. And this is why I do believe we need a democratic Europe, um, whatever you call it, European Republic, European democracy. Um, but I also think that, uh, and this is what Volt has always said from the beginning, we, we are not for revolution, we are for reform, and we want to take everyone with us. And it is a, a long-term project that we are in, in it for, for the marathon and to, and to really achieve that in, in decades and not in the next few months. Okay. Thank you very much. This was a wonderful conversation with Valerie Stember Irvani and Reinier van Lanschot, both co-presidents of Volt Europa. Actually, why are there two presidents in uh, this party? This is my last question, really. Why are there so, two presidents uh, in, in a party that are on the same level, actually? Yeah, so we believe that um, society would be helped if more women were part of politics and if there's more equality in uh, gender representation. Uh, in uh, politics in general, and that should also be reflected within our movement. In each leadership position, it is filled by two people of different gender, and each list that we use for selections has 50% of uh, both genders on it. Okay, and is it only is it also non-binary? Is that all right, or you need to be? Yeah, that's possible. Okay, okay, that's possible. Then you can then you can pull in. Uh, one of the two, two different genders. And then we need a third, um, part, uh, a third president, right? We're working on that. That's the next step with okay. non-binary um, challenges. Perfect. Thank you all very much for uh, joining us today and um, talk to you soon. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you very much, Paolo. Thank you all for listening to this episode of Europe Matters. 
Special thanks goes to my assistant producer, Antonio Mattesini. Let us know who we should interview next by writing a comment and sharing it with your friends on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn using the handle at Europe Matters. Don't forget to leave a review on whichever podcast streaming platform you use. And if you really like this show, the best way to support us is by making a donation on patreon.com. You can learn more at www.europematters.com. Speak to you soon. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business. Removing friction and frustration for your employees. Supercharging productivity for your developers. Providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier. All built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more.